Hey, I'm David Crabtree, lead pastor at Calvary Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope you'll find something every week that inspires you to dig deeply into God's Word and reach for the unmet potentials that lie within you. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and never miss an update. Hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you again online this morning. In a moment, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and for the next two weeks, we're going to be taking our text from this great sixth chapter right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So for Matthew 6, if you want to turn there and be ready in the Bible, I want to share with you a confession this morning. Confessing the sins of others is easy. I've found that I'm pretty good at confessing everybody else's sins. Preaching about the sins of others is a lot easier than preaching about your own sins. And so it would be really hypocritical for me this morning to preach this message as though I had already attained. Even Paul said he hadn't arrived there yet. Hence, my confession today. But before I confess, I'm quite tempted to list all of the sins that I'm not guilty of. I'm, I'm tempted to make a long list of all of the things I handle quite well as though I could somehow justify myself, as though being free from those other sins, it would somehow mitigate against a besetting sin. But it just doesn't work that way. So as we're gathered around this morning, I'll start this way. Hi, my name is David. I'm a sinner. And my besetting sin is worry. It's worry. Now, worry is the distrust of the promise and providence of God. It's the exact opposite of be anxious for nothing. Worriers are generally anxious about everything. When I met with the staff earlier this week on Wednesday, I talked about four major lanes, like lanes on an interstate, four major lanes in my life. And really, for the first time in my life, All four lanes seem to be moving so fast at such dangerous speed. I I find myself anxious thinking at any moment there's going to be a big pileup. Maybe that's you too. Maybe you're feeling the pressure right now with everything that's happening around us. Maybe you're worried. Well, the, the English word worry comes from an old German word, and that German word means to strangle or to choke. That's what worry does. That's what worry does. It's a a mental and emotional strangulation. It produces more spiritual affliction, I think, than probably any other cause. To strangle. Strangle's an awful word, isn't it? Yet familiar. In the parable of the sower, Jesus spoke of the seed that fell among the weeds and the thorns. Here's what the text says from Matthew 13. Now he who received he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful chokes the word in other words he's anxious to strangle to choke brutal words but so very accurate in our day I know I have worried about things great and small. I've worried about 
family and reputation and mortality. I've worried about finance and failure and the future. I've worried about relationships, good and bad, strained and broken. I've worried over legacy and relevance and decisions and indecisions, inertia, plateaus. I've awakened to worries in the morning. I've rocked worry to sleep at night. I've worried about this church. And I know it's not mine, but like Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, beside all other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. There's a weight and there's a burden that comes with it, and I worry. Concern is the word that Paul used, but I can't hide. I've tried to adopt that word concern. I can't adopt it. It's just worry for me. I've also known that wonderful surge of faith that crushes the foe of worry, that stops the strangulation, that leads me to that point where I can breathe deeply again. But that corpse just keeps rising from the dead and slipping through the door of my soul. Maybe it does for you too. You know, when Jesus warded off temptation, the temptation of the devil, Luke records it this way in Luke 4. Verse 13, he says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. A single victory is not the battle won. The adversary is waiting for that opportunity, that opportune time, and he is patient and he is persistent. But enough about the devil, enough about me. Let's just look to the words of Jesus this morning. In Matthew chapter 6, 25 and following, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Father, just add your blessing to the word this morning. Your word is what sets us free. Apply that word to our troubled hearts, that anxieties would be defeated in this moment of faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in the early, early part of this sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus is warning them about stockpiling riches. He's warning them against that. Because the rich are tempted to trust in their possessions 
He speaks to the poor also because the poor are tempted to doubt God's provision. So whether rich, trusting in possessions, or poor, doubting God's provision, all of this comes down to a matter of trust. In the text we just read together, I'm drawn to the questions that Jesus asked, the questions that he asked. I find them so revealing, and so we're going to look at a few of those. First, let me start with the statement and then build the question in. First of all, number one, worry exaggerates the urgent, resulting in a loss of proportion. I'll say it again. Worry exaggerates the urgent, resulting in a loss of proportion. From the text, verse 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't life bigger than the things that you worry about? Think about it for a moment. Isn't life bigger than what you worry about? The right answer is yes. But when worry reigns, the soul, the soul says no. Worry exaggerates the urgent. Have you ever worried so much about one thing, one person, one meeting, one test, one appointment, one symptom, one, one decision, that it became the only thing in your life? I have. One thing, one bit of trouble, one conflict, one person upset, before long it gets a hold of you and it blocks out everything else. When we give in to worry, we lose our sense of proportion. We lose our sense of scale. Life unattended, or left unattended, I should say. Left unattended, worry grows until it blocks out all light. When I walk close to the Lord... Feeding on his word. I hear Paul saying in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known before God. And it follows, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I hear that. I hear that when I walk close to the Lord. But when I give worry an inch, it takes a mile and I began to lose proportion. I began to lose perspective. I overreact. I obsess. I despair. I shut down. Shadow becomes substance. The writer of Hebrews understood the loss of perspective and its remedy. Let me take you to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, verse 1. Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, looking to Jesus. A right perspective is absolutely impossible until your eyes are on Jesus. Talk all you want about a new attitude, a new point of view, a new day. It's all for nothing unless your eyes have found him. And in these hours of crisis, in these hours of crisis, my rest has come in those moments where my eyes have found him. Studying the word of God, opening and turning the pages back and forth, reading the text, letting it speak to me. My eyes on Jesus have brought me to a place of peace even in the midst of this storm. You see, besetting sins always lose their power 
when Jesus is magnified. Again, magnified. We talk about magnify the Lord. Let's magnify Jesus. It, it means let's make him bigger. And what fear and worry want to do, is they want to be magnified. The adversary of your soul wants to magnify fear and worry so you're no longer magnifying the Lord. Shadows will run from the light that floods our souls when our eyes are fixed on him. He's the light. He exposes everything. Mountains become absolutely nothing when we trust in him. Fear is supplanted by faith when our eyes have found him. I don't know if I'm preaching to save you this morning or preaching to save me, but I know freedom starts with this truth. Worry exaggerates the urgent, resulting in a loss of perspective and proportion. Second, you need to understand that worry distorts self-worth, resulting in a loss of value. Jesus said, verse 26 in Matthew 6, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Are you not of more value than they? Jesus was clear. The Father created the birds, and through the maintenance of his creation, he sees to their sustenance daily. The Father also created man. The logic is inescapable. Would the father who provides for the sparrow not provide for the man or the woman for whom Christ died? When we worry about God's provision for us, we struggle with a question of value. Are you not of more value than they? I heard my dad use an illustration years ago that struck me, stayed with me. He talked about, and I don't know where it took place, but vandals broke into a department store. They broke no glass, they sprayed no graffiti, and they stole nothing, but they switched every price tag in the store. When that department store opened the next day, Mank Coat was, was selling for $15, and a double-A pack of batteries was 425 Who sets value? Isn't that the core issue in all economies? Who decided that gold should be worth more than iron or diamonds should trump pearls? Who decided these things? Ultimately, we did, and we still do. What is the value of a human life? It really depends on who you ask and where you are. What's the value of a human life in Darfur or Calcutta or London? What's the value of life at an American abortion clinic? Look at the question Jesus asks of men. Are you not more valuable than the birds? Are you not more valuable? In a godless universe, what's the value of the human life? Well, it's all relative. Well, certainly we might argue the value of the inventor or the artist or the warrior or especially today the doctor. But what about the punk? What about the brute? What about the gangbanger? The Greek philosopher said that man is the measure of all things, but to channel Rabbi Zacharias, which man is the measure of all things? Is it going to be Hitler or Gandhi? Is it going to be Lincoln or Manson? Is it Trump or Pelosi? Is it a teacher or is it a sports star? You see, in the dim light of human ethics, we set values 
on the assumption that one man is morally or intellectually superior to another. But the criteria by which this is decided is like a shifting sandbar. Who else but God can speak to the value of a man or woman? He created us, purposed us, loved us, redeemed us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. In Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Your value is established by God and God alone. Worry distorts our self-worth, resulting in a loss of value or a sense of value. Let's go on a little bit further. Three, worry obscures real solutions, resulting in futility. Which of you, verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? That's the third question. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I can't. I can't add an inch. I'm somewhat frustrated. I feel, I feel like I should be six feet two, six feet three. I'd like to be just about that height. I'm stuck at five, ten and a quarter. Five, ten and a quarter. That's all it's ever, as a matter of fact, as, as my body ages, I'm going to shrink just a little bit. Worrying's not going to add anything to my stature, and if anything, it'll cause me to shrink faster. I've got one question for those of you who worry a lot. If you worry a lot, if you struggle with the same besetting sin I struggle with, I have one great question for you. It's a defining question. How's worry working for you? If you worry all day long and you can't grow an inch, you can't increase your income, you can't protect anything, you can't fix the problem, you can't confront or comfort, you can't assure, you can't inspire, you can't encourage, you can't enlighten, worry fixes absolutely nothing. Worry's a monumental, then, worry's a monumental waste of time and emotional energy. Just imagine for a moment if worry did work, if it really did work. Well, we would teach courses on worry. We'd write books, how to increase your worry. The stock market would be revolutionized by investors who would pick a stock and then worry it all the way to greatness. I wouldn't prepare for Sunday morning. I would just worry about it a whole lot if worry worked. But worry has a 6,000-year track record in futility. 6,000 years. It's never worked. It never will. Solutions are never found through worry. They're found in prayer. They're found in motion and in activity. They're found in trying. They're found in trusting. But there's a fourth question. So finally, the statement is this. Worry discourages faith, resulting in paralysis. And here's the question. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In the text, Jesus takes us to a kingdom lower than the animal kingdom, He talks about God's care for the grass. 
the grass of the field. He goes all the way down to plant life and says, if he clothes the fields, will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? Do you see it? That's what, that's what worry is after all along. Your faith. Your hope. You say, faith will always move us upward, but worry cancels the trip. Faith builds a partnership with God. Worry doubts the honesty of God. Faith can move the mountains. Worry can't even move a molehill. Faith will take us through the deep waters. Worry's going to drown us in the shadows. Faith is rest. Worry is manic. Faith lifts us up. Worry locks us up. Faith pleases God, but worry denies him in every fashion. You are more valuable than birds, more valuable than gold or grass and flowers. You are his cause. The Bible says, for this cause, Christ came into the world for the redemption of man. For this cause, we are the cause of God. He lived among us. In Christ Jesus, God came and lived among us. He died for us. He rose from the dead for us. Worry is pointless. It doesn't work. It's ultimately sinful. And it needs to be laid down at his feet. Well, where do we, where do we start? Well, if, if we'll just embrace the fact that worry is sin, it starts with repentance with an about face, embracing the forgiveness of God for failing to trust him as we should. It starts with us installing safeguards. We all, almost need some trip lines in our lives when worry begins to get a hold of us. We need to recognize it for what it is and we need to cast it down. The scripture says, casting down imaginations. We need that daily reaffirmation that I am his, he is mine, I am loved and safe, forever safe in the Father's arms. I don't know how much longer this state of affairs will go on, how long we'll be coming to you online, how long we'll be separated, how long we'll be sheltered in homes. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a politician, I, I'm just a preacher of the gospel who's facing some real limitations right now in connecting with the family of God that gathers at Calvary Church. I do know one thing. He will not let us down. He will not let us go. This will not be the end of us. In a few months, we will look back and none of us will say that ruined my life or that was the end of it all. God is faithful. God is faithful. Let's rise up based on the word of God, the Sermon on the Mount, the core teaching of Jesus. Let's rise up and embrace what he said. And let's be done with worry. Let's be done with fear. As I've confessed my heart before God this morning, maybe you need to confess yours also. So let's just make that confession together. Lord Jesus, these are frightening days and our hearts are troubled within us. We look around and we see everything that can be shaken, being shaken. But you 
are not moved by our crisis. Therefore, we come to you today. We anchor ourselves in you today. We invest our trust in you again today. Hear the cry of our heart, Lord. Make us strong that we might walk faithful even in these days of trouble. May God richly bless your life. He's working out his purpose even in the midst of this mess. Okay, that's one down. There was that one.